Well, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Man, where were you last week? What happened? Uh, because of the snow, uh, obviously we had to cancel services last weekend. And man, I just got to tell you, we hate it when we have to cancel services. Uh, and it never can snow like a Tuesday, right? Or a Wednesday. Then hopefully it's melted. And so the fact that it came down on Saturday, it messed up our Jasper landscaping day last Saturday. And then we just, again, you never know. It's always a guessing game because I'm sure some of you woke up on Sunday. We're like, we could have gone to services. Um, and maybe we could have in some parts, but that doesn't necessarily mean everywhere that was good, especially being one church in multiple cities. And so thanks for coming back today. And speaking of Weather, I just want to highlight one thing before we jump into the message. Speaking of Jasper, um, every time it snows and rains when you're trying to do a construction project, then obviously it throws everything kind of into disarray. Uh, and so that's one thing that I want our church to be praying about. In fact, we're going to pray in just a second before we jump into the message. But over the next several weeks, we're beginning the process of transitioning our Jasper location from a, po a portable environment to a permanent environment. And we're finishing up the building there. Um, and the rain and the weather and everything literally just throws a wrench into all of that. Uh, it makes everything so much harder, puts delays to things. And so if you could be praying over the next few weeks and supporting us uh, as a church, us all coming together and asking God not only to help us with the weather, I mean, no rain would be great because the rivers are already full anyway, right? Uh, and also just all of our contractors, our subs and everything, uh, it would just be incredibly, incredibly helpful over the next few weeks if we can have as good a weather as possible so that we can finish things out and then move into our new location, which is exciting, man. That's coming next month. And so we're so, so excited about that. The building is coming together really, really well. And we'll begin that transition process of moving from a portable to a permanent environment, which we'll talk more about that in a little bit, especially if you're a part of our Jasper location and you're not serving yet, man, we want you to jump in or maybe a part of our Canton location. And now is the time to transition into our Jasper location if you live in that area. So be praying about that. We'll be talking more and more and more about that over the next several weeks because we're literally like a month away uh, from hopefully uh, opening that up uh, to the public and using it as a tool to reach more people for Christ, all right? So speaking of prayers, we jump into today's message. You can turn to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. We're, we're jumping back into our Romans series. If you were here last year, we did Romans chapter 1 through 11, uh, coming out of our 21 days of prayer and fasting last Last year, uh, we took a break at that, and now we're going to finish it out from chapters 12 to chapter 16, and I'll explain more about why that's so important. But before we jump into the text, let's pray together and ask God not only to bless our time together, but bless this transition process for our new location. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are God, and that God, you are working in our lives. And, and God, we just thank you for being so faithful. I, I know, God, I feel so faithless so much. God, and I feel like I fail so often, but God, thank you for being faithful. Even when we can't see it, even when it comes to uh, our timelines and the things that we want to happen, like this Jasper location, God, uh, we know that you're sovereign, you're in control, but we do ask, God, for great weather. Uh, over the next several weeks, God, we ask for favor, literally, at every stage of the process as we finish this out, God, and bring the building uh, to a usable place that we can occupy it uh, and then use it as a tool to reach people. And God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. Fill us with your spirit, God, and, and help us to see and to hear what you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 12, last week I was going to do verse 1, and this week I was going to do verse 2. 
But this week, I've got to put them together. Obviously, since we didn't have services last week, so it's only two verses, but you're going to see they're very, very dense. Very, this is why I was going to do two messages, and I was really, really excited about that, and so I've got to kind of bring these two together as best as I possibly can. But in Romans chapter 12, what you see is a transition point. Again, we're kind of talking about transitions here from a campus standpoint, from a church standpoint, and you're going to see this in Romans chapter 12. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, Paul was dealing with belief. He was dealing with what is the core belief system? What is the gospel? Like if you want to understand what the gospel is, chapters one through 11 is it. It is arguably the greatest description of it. this is why we even base a lot of times sharing our faith on the Romans road because it just breaks it down chapters one through 11. But in chapters 12 through 16, Paul makes a marked turn and now he gets into behavior or application, if you will. So chapters 12 through 16 is how do I live out what I believe? So chapters 1 through 11 is right belief. Chapters 12 through 16 is right behavior, all right? And the reason why that's so important is because if our behavior doesn't match our belief, then do we really believe it? If, if our behavior doesn't line up, or let me say it to you like this, if our belief doesn't inform our behavior, and then our behavior comes in line with our beliefs, then do we really believe it? And so Paul here in chapter 12 is, again, particularly in verse 1 and 2, he's going to really set the table for us to understand, listen, this is how we need to bring our life in alignment. And the reason why this is so important, and it's a joke, phrase we joke about, although it's not funny, but it's almost like there's a God, is we've been talking about integrity over the last month when we did our 21 days of prayer and fasting and living a life that's integrated. And we've talked about, if you've been here, that that is our theme word for 2020. We wanna be an integrated church. We wanna be healthy. We wanna live integrated lives. We want to multiply integrated people, people that have integrity. And I told you that I'm in a coaching group and, and this coaching group that I'm a part of, we are reading this book called The Deeper Life, which again, I would highly recommend it to you. And in the session of this book, I've got to do homework every week, which is kind of funny, you know, because as a 41-year-old dude, I haven't done homework in a long time, but I'm one of those weirdos that liked school and liked doing it. And so I enjoy it because it helps me to kind of think about, kind of look at my life, kind of get out of my life, just living in it and work on it. And that's really what this book has done. And, and one of the exercises that we had to do this last week was around values, like, what is my values? What do I value? What does my family value? And so it was really cool because I started thinking through, and I love acronyms, and so I just took my first name, Jason, and was like, all right, what are the five values that I value? So Jay's like, it's about Jesus, not Jason. Don't get the wrong five letters. That's a value of mine. We talk about this in our welcome lunch, which we got today. And then my last name, Gerdes, G-E-R-D-E-S, we, we sat down as a family, and I would highly recommend this to you. We did it on Tuesday night, and, and of course, my kids weren't that excited about it at first. I'm like, let's sit down and talk about values, right? But we sat down in our bed and, and just kind of talked through it, and it was fun, because then we took my last name, Gertis, like, all right, what are our values? Then we're looking up words that start with G, looking up words that start with E and R and D, and, and discussing about, okay, what is it that we value? And it turned into this really fun conversation to where now my family, me, my wife, and my kids have a, have a kind of a basis of understanding, well, here's what we said we value, now let's live it out. And in the book, it talks about the difference between declared values and demonstrated values. Declared values are what you say, demonstrated values are what you do. Now, when those two are in alignment, then you have integrity or you are integrated. 
And, and it's a math equation, so you know I like it. So I've got it here on the screen for you, and I'm, this is gonna tie into Romans chapter 12, I promise. But here's what the book said. Declared values plus demonstrated values equals integrity or integration. Basically, as simple as I can say it is, if you do what you say, you're integrated. Now, the opposite of that is declared values minus demonstrated values equals hypocrisy or disintegration. So we're going to talk today about, and I think what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12 is how to line up your demonstrated values with your declared values, how to bring those two things together. Because when that happens, you are an integrated person. And when it doesn't happen, you're not integrated and you're a hypocrite. Now, one of the things that I love to do with having conversations with people that don't go to church is like, oh, I don't go to church. All those people are hypocrites. And I love to have the conversation. I said, you're right. They are hypocrites, but so are you. So you'll feel very welcomed. Because <laughs> can we just be honest? And again, I know this is church and it's hard for us, but all of us are hypocrites. My name is Jason. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite too. Well, let me ask you like this. Have you ever not done something you said you were going to do? Anybody? Every hand should be raised in both locations, all right? Even people in Kenya be like, yes. You're a hypocrite. But here's the good news. All of us have areas in our life that are disintegrated. So as we go through this message today, we've all already admitted this. Let me just point something out to you. As you listen to this message, and if someone else comes to your mind, you're a bigger hypocrite than you know. No elbowing today, all right? Spouse, you can't say, my husband needs this. So do you, all right? Level the playing field. Why? Because all of us, myself included, the only person who didn't was Jesus. There's Jesus and the rest of us, all right? Jesus was integrated. He demonstrated what he declared. The rest of us, though, are a work in progress, all right? So again, the goal is we want to be helpful to show you how to bring these in line. How do I bring in line to demonstrate what I'm declaring? Well, that's exactly what Paul's talking about, Romans 12. So let's go verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now let's stop and chat here for a minute. I appeal to you. So Paul's a pastor, and this phrase here, appeal, can mean to urge or command. And as a pastor, you have the power given by God, because Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two as well. He gave us pastors and teachers to equip the body to do the work of ministry. And it tells us in Hebrews to listen to our pastors, listen to our leaders. And you're like, well, of course you would say that because you're the pastor. But here's the deal. There's, there's in my life still people that I need to listen to. And so all of us from a kind of authority standpoint, understand whether it's parents or pastors, they have an, a, an authority to command us. But those of us, maybe you're not a pastor, but maybe you're a parent. And if you understand this, and I say this often, that pastoring is so much like parenting. I have the power to command my kids to do something. 
which I do at times. And you may think that that means I'm an authoritative, you know, horrible parent. Well, let's see which kid turns out, all right? And so the idea is I'm placed by God as a father, as a mother, to give my kids direction and commands. And this is why I tell my kids at times, hey, that's not a suggestion, homie. I didn't ask you how you felt about it. Just do it. Now, as a parent, if I just lead my kids all the time, just authoritatively and just command it all the time and don't inspire them or urge them, then they'll just do it because I told them to. But as a parent, don't you know that you would much rather your kids come to the conclusion to do what is right because they know it's right, not just because you told them so? You know what I'm saying when I say that? Like, you want them to clean your room or clean their room? Well, clean your room too, let's be honest, all right? You want them to clean their room because you told them to. You told them you want them to do it. But how different is it if they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I cleaned my room because I know it's right. Like, after you fainted, right, got up off the floor, you'd be like, what just happened? But you would under, whoa, you'd be like, whoa, that sunk in. That's the idea of what Paul's saying here. He wants the Romans to come to this conclusion because they are seeing correctly. He, want, he doesn't want to just have to command them to do this. He's appealing to them. He's urging them. He's, listen, I want you to do this because you believe this now. That's why I took 11 chapters to explain it to you. And the urging is coming out of, and he uses the word therefore, and I tell you this often, you always ask yourself, what is it therefore? He's not just referring back to the, first, or the last few verses of chapter 11. He's actually referring back to chapters 1 through 11. He says, therefore, by the mercies of God. Now, when I got my first Bible when I was in middle school, it was an NIV translation. And so a lot of the Bible uh, verses that I've memorized, I've memorized them in the ESV, I mean, in the NIV version. And this is one of those. Ironically, the Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 was my other most favorite memory verse. And both of them are very similar, very similar in what they're talking about. But in chapter uh, 12, verse 1 in the NIV, it says this, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The ESV here says, by the mercies of God. Either is fine, that is translating a word differently. This word here, by, is a preposition of means. It can mean in reference to something, through something, um, in view of something. It's, it's the idea of, I'm doing this because of this. Or I'm doing it through this. And I really like the NIV translation better because I like the idea of him saying, in view of this, do this. That is helpful for me to understand because, very simply as I can say it to you, I won't do this unless I see this. I won't do this unless I see this. And this that I'm seeing is the mercy of God. If I have the mercy of God in view, then naturally I will do this, is what he's getting at here. Now, what is the mercy of God? It's in reference to chapters 1 through 11. And the basic principle of chapters 1 through 11 is this. You are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. By grace, you had nothing to do with it. 
Through faith means that you're believing something in Christ. By grace, through faith, in Christ. Here's the, here's the basis of that. You had nothing to do with saving yourself. It is sheerly by the mercy of God. Sheerly by grace. You were, Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. Now, I love that verse because it's contrasting dead to alive. You were dead, but God made you alive. Now you're alive. You used to be dead. Now, in that process of becoming alive, what you do with your new life that's alive is determined by the fact of the one who made you alive. Let me say it to you like this. If God makes you alive, you owe your whole life to him. And now what you do while you're alive is determined by the fact that you used to be dead. And so what Paul's getting at here, this is why I love it, why he says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as what kind of sacrifice? A living one. Now this is referring back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, but you need to understand the nuance difference. It kind of goes to what I was just talking about, Ephesians chapter two. All throughout the Old Testament, those of you that are on the, your one-year Bible reading plan and you're like in Levitic, Leviticus right now and you're reading all that stuff, you're like, what in the mess was going on back then? You need to understand something. Everything in the Old Testament was to show you that God is holy and we are not. And you look at all the holiness laws and all the things that they had to do. What you're seeing is here is the price that needs to be paid for the sin. All that was just setting you up so that when Christ came, you and I would understand that we were so sinful that God had to die, but we were so loved that he substituted himself for us because sacrifice is required. But in the Old Testament, when you would sacrifice an animal, you would kill it first. You would kill it and then you would offer it. But now that Old Testament sacrificial system is done away with. Thank God, because that would be really weird as a pastor if you guys brought your goats up here every Sunday and we had to slaughter them. Like I look at the Old Testament priests, I'm like, I would not want that job. That is done away with. Why? Because Christ was the sacrificial lamb. He was killed and he was offered. He was killed and he was offered. And that was to forgive our sins. So now that's done away with, but hear me, sacrificing yourself is not done away with. Now it's not a dead sacrifice because Christ was that for you. Now it's a living one. And what that means is now my life is lived for Christ. My life is lived in view of that. My life is an offering back to him because I was dead. He made me alive. Now my living life, I give to him. But here's the problem with the living sacrifice. Every time you put it on the altar, it crawls off, doesn't it? Let me say it to you like this. How many times have you committed something to God on Monday, only to on Sunday, only to take it back on a Tuesday? Maybe Wednesday, Thursday, if you're really holy. Right? You come to service, 
God, I love you. I'm so sorry. Here's my marriage. Here's my finances. Here, take this, Lord, because I've messed it up. And then by Tuesday and by Wednesday, you get back into your old pattern. You're like, I didn't really mess it up that bad, Lord. I'll just take it back. I got this. And you so don't got it. See, the problem with the living sacrifice is the sacrifice is shown not when it's dead once and for all. It's shown every day by dying to itself. That's why the Bible says, consider yourself dead. Reckon yourself dead. You have to remind yourself that I am dead and I'm alive. This is the problem sometimes with Christian cliches when we talk about like trusting Jesus. One of the phrases, and if you hear me say this, you can correct me. If you hear anybody in our staff or team say this, you can feel free to correct them. You don't ask Jesus into your life. I don't even like the phrase of I accepted Jesus in my heart. Because if it's like I accepted Jesus into my heart, then he doesn't have my head and for sure he ain't got my wallet. That's why John Calvin said the last thing to go under the water of baptisms is somebody's wallet. And people say, well, Jesus is my savior, but he's not my Lord. I don't know why I always use those verses, but I'm just kind of recapping like thousands of conversations I've had with people and I just munch all of their voices together. And that's what comes out, all right? (laughs) But I want you to understand something. If Jesus is your savior and not your Lord, he ain't your savior. He didn't make that deal with you. And we developed this idea in the church of like carnal Christians, people who loved Jesus or like gave their life to Jesus or walked an aisle and now they're carnal. They're not following Jesus. Listen, you might've said a prayer, but you didn't give him your life. And and part of it is how we do it because we offer salvation as though Jesus is something to add in to what you already got going. Listen, Jesus is not a peg that you put on the board of your life. Jesus is saying, God, I'm trading in my old one, and now I'm taking the new one. You don't ask Jesus into your life. You give him your life. You give it to him. And here's the good news. You give him your dead one, and he gives you a living one. And when he gives you that living one, you know what you do every day? You give it right back to him. You give it right back to him. My life is yours. My marriage is yours. My finances are yours. My kids are yours. My job is yours. My time is yours. My energy is yours. Now, none of us do that perfectly, right? Again, we've already said that. So don't leave today like pastor stepped on my toes. Like this, y'all are weird. You're like, stepped on my toes and I loved it. Some of y'all don't think it was a good sermon until you just felt guilty. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm just trying to show you what's logical, which is exactly what he says. He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Now that word spiritual, again, it's not a great translation. It doesn't necessarily mean that the ESV is wrong here or other translations are wrong for use this word. What's wrong in it is how we think of the word spiritual. We think of the word spiritual as like, oh, I'm in service and I'm raising my hands. I'm real spiritual. Or I do yoga and I chant stuff. I'm real spiritual. 
or how I grew up. I wore nice clothes and I got a Bible cover. I'm real spiritual. No, the word here is literally the Greek word logic. Logic. What does logic mean? It means reasonable. It means to think logical. So here's what he's saying. In view of God's mercies or by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your logical worship. Let me say it differently. If you don't offer your whole life, it's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus offered his whole life. He didn't offer part of himself for you. He offered all of himself for you. This is why it would make a really weird worship song if the title wasn't with everything, but it was with some things. There's a worship song that we used to sing quite often called With Everything. That would be a weird worship song, wouldn't it? With some things. With most things, God. With a couple things, Lord. Right? Most of the time, God. In some areas of my life, Lord. I don't lead worship, thank God, right? We'll get into gifts next week. That ain't mine. No, but the song only makes sense if it's with everything. Again, this is why the Bible uses metaphor, uh, the marriage metaphor as our relationship with Jesus. Marriage only makes sense if you get up there and you say, my life is yours now. You want to know why marriage is so hard? Because you keep taking back your life from your spouse. That's what makes it hard. But marriage, when you got up there, you're like, no, till death do us part for richer or poorer. The problem is you didn't have any riches then, so it was easy. <laughs> right? You didn't have much life going then, so it was easy. But that's why this is marriage. Let me say it to you like this. Marriage is illogical with anything less. So is worship. Worship is the response of all that I am to the revelation of all that God is. God reveals himself in the mercy as he gave us in Christ. And the only response to that is, I give my whole self. Now, here's my question to you. Why would you not? Let me ask it like this. Has it gone very well with you in charge? No. So that's why Paul's like, this is the only response. It's the only one that makes any sense. So what does a living sacrifice mean? Let me give you the definition by Tim Keller, which I recommended these books at the beginning of the series. I'll do it again. It's called Romans for You. It's just a really good commentary that just gives you a really good understanding of the whole book. This is what he says. To be a living sacrifice is to be fully at God's disposal. It means to be willing to obey God. Now listen, in anything he says, in any area of life. And here's a big one. To be willing to thank God for anything he sends in any area of life. A living sacrifice means to be fully at his disposal. Willing to obey him in 
anything he says in any area of life and willing to thank him for everything that he brings in any area of life. Now think about that. Paul says, that's the only thing that makes any sense. When you understand that you were dead and now you've been made alive. You can't take credit for any of the action of becoming alive. This is why I'm, I beat the drum because I think the Bible beats the drum that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. You had nothing to do with it. But a lot of us think that God drafted us on his team because we had so much to offer him. Like I was a good person. No, you weren't. You were just lying to yourself. You're not a good person. I don't care if your mama birthed you on a church pew. You have not been a Christian your whole life. That doesn't exist. They're like unicorns. No, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. And now that life that I live, I live in faith in response to that grace. It only makes sense. So how do I do that? This is why I was going to break this up into two sermons because I got like five minutes left for verse two. Look at verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, again, this is another one of those, because I memorized this in the NIV. The NIV says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, this word here, conformed, is very interesting. It's the Greek word if you were just to bring it right over into English, it'd be schismato. The idea is systems. The idea is conformed to a pattern. So the ESV doesn't use the word pattern. It just words the word conformed. But the NIV, I like how it says it better, conformed to the pattern of this world. Listen, when you were born into this world, you were born into a sinful, broken world. You were also born into a sinful, broken family. There is no other family than a sinful, broken one. So you were born into a sinful, broken family. And some of y'all were born into really broken families. And you want to know what Satan's strategy is to destroy this world? Attack families. This is why Satan didn't even show up on the scene until they were married. Satan didn't tempt Adam by himself. It wasn't until there was a family. And so now he's attacking families. And so here's what I'm trying to say to you. All of us grew up in a family and we have a pattern that our family taught us. You talk to any psychologist or counselor, they're going to tell you that you have a pattern of your family of origin. Even if you were adopted, you developed patterns. However your upbringing, it literally hardwires your brain differently. This is why emotional connection is so important. So important. Because when a baby is born, it's literally gray matter there. It's like Play-Doh that's being shaped and it's being shaped by the emotional connections that happened. And so a lot of us, we were grown up into 
families that taught us very destructive, sinful patterns, and it formed us. Now, when you trust Christ, the Bible says you're born again. And now, and I love this, and, and, and one of the guys who's really helped me in this, and, and I, we hope to use his programs here, in, not programs, but his material in church, some emotionally healthy discipleship. I love how he says that Pete Scazzaro, he says, when you are born again, you're born into the new family of Jesus. You're born into the new family. So here you are, you have destructive patterns that you learned in your old family, and now you're in the new family. So let me ask you a question. When you're born again into the new family, do those old patterns go away? Yes or no? No. They do not go away instantly. Now, God can free you instantly from an addiction. He can free you from something. I mean, radically transform. Yes. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but even in that area, if that does happen, you still have other ones that you have to relearn. The problem is you have to unlearn and relearn. So in your family of origin, you learned how to do conflict. You learned how to do anger. You learned how to do food. You learned how to do sex. You learned how to do everything. And there is a system or a pattern behind it all. And we talked about this in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And of this world is a reference to this aeon. Literally, the Latin word is where we get our English word secular. This secular time has trained you, has patterned you. And now your behaviors are conformed into that. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. You need to understand there is a belief system behind it. That's what we talked about then. The spiritual warfare, the unseen realm. Remember Daniel 10, the prince of Persia, prince of Greece, all that stuff. If you weren't here, you can go watch it. I ain't got time to get into it. But here's what I need you to understand. When you come to Christ... You don't automatically, overnight, live new patterns. But your entire life, you've been conformed to them. You've been conformed to them. And now the Bible says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You want to know why you keep taking that offering back? Romans 7. You do it naturally. Paul said, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Anybody? Yeah, welcome to life. So how do I break the pattern? Well, first, you have to recognize the problem is in the pattern. In fact, I would write that down. I've got it as a point on the screen. The, pro the problem is in the pattern. The problem's in the pattern. And this is why I'm trying to tell you why I said earlier, I don't want to just guilt you into this because guilt never changed anybody. If I just guilt you into your sinful patterns, you'll just leave here and hate yourself more. And that doesn't do anything. But the first step to transformation, which is a different word, it's interesting, the word transformation is literally the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. And what do you, what's the best example in nature of metamorphosis? Butterfly, right? A caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Why do you think God made that happen? I mean, he could have just like made butterflies. But why in the world did he take this crawling, weird, leaf-eating, 
multi-legged thing and turn it into something beautiful that we make sanctuaries about. It's the same God, isn't it? I th- you don't want to know how I think he did it? To give you an example of the exact same thing he does with you. You were a caterpillar. When you came to Christ, you were made into a butterfly. But here's the problem. Wouldn't it be weird if a butterfly still walked around like a caterpillar? Like we wouldn't make a, a butterfly sanctuary of a bunch of butterflies just walking on the limbs again, you know? <laughs> you would be like, man, I need to make some kind of system to like get into that butterfly's head and be like, bro, you're not a caterpillar anymore. You can fly. That's the same thing we do. We are butterflies still living like caterpillars. Why? Well, can we just, can we just give ourselves some slack because our whole life we learned how to be a good caterpillar? You want to know why you still have destructive habits? Because you learn how to survive. They're called defense mechanisms. You're like, bro, you're getting all psychological on me. No, I'm just getting biblical. The problem's in the pattern. So I'm just trying to demythologize this for you. Because if you can recognize, oh, the pattern is the problem. If I'm a new creation in Christ, the problem's not me. Like, it's not that I'm just this dirty, rotten sinner anymore. I'm saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I'm just still living like my old self. And if we can recognize that the problem is in the pattern, then we can also recognize this last point. The power is in the pattern. The power is in the pattern. Now think of this in a positive way. Again, you may be a person who struggles with alcoholism. And and I'm not trying to, I mean, it's a family I grew up in. But I'm going to use this just because it's an obvious example. So if an alcoholic learns that when they need to unwind, they go to a bar. So every day they just go to a bar or they go to a buddy's house. That's a pattern. Well, how crazy is it for a person who says, you know what, I'm an alcoholic. I don't want to drink anymore, but they don't address the problem of going to the bar. Like any normal sane person would be like, bro, quit going to the bar. Like when you go to the bar and then you're like, I'm not going to drink. 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 Okay, I'm going to drink. The problem's in the pattern, right? But the power's in the pattern. If you can just simply, by God's grace, develop a new pattern, then you'll get power over your inability to say no. So instead of going to the bar, you come to recovery group. Where you can be honest and you can say, listen, I'm powerless over the pattern. And I want to drink. But if I'll just simply develop a new pattern, there's power in the pattern. And and people have said, it takes 21 days to make a new habit. Have you realized that that's not true yet? You're like, why do you do 21 days? Well, A, because it's biblical. But no, it takes 21 days to develop a new mindset. It actually takes way longer than 21 days to make a new habit. 
Researchers say now it takes at least 66 days, sometimes 90, sometimes upwards to 250. Because you have to develop the pattern long enough. But here's what I'm saying. If you can just demythologize your guilt and just recognize by grace the pattern, then you'll be renewed. See, it's renewed, the renewal of your what, he says. Mind. That word there, renewals, two words put together in Greek, anakinosis. Ana means throughout. Kenosis means new. New throughout. See, here's what we're doing. We're trying to be a new creation without being new throughout. We have to recognize, oh, that's a weird pattern. Oh, that's a bad pattern. Oh, that's where the, that pattern. Because there's power in the pattern. Let me just give you some examples. Last year, during our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I made a statement. This is in 2019. I said to our church, hey, if you'll just develop the pattern of coming to church every Sunday, I promise you, by the end of this year, your life will be transformed. During our Christmas services, a guy walks up who now serves on our team. He says, you know, Jason, I was new here in January of, this was last year. He says, January of this year. And you made that statement. And I took you up on it. I said, you know what? I'm going to come every time. I'm going to do everything I do to be here every Sunday. And I said, what happened? He said, my life's been transformed. You were right. But here's what you need to know. There's now a new pattern. Most people today in church attend two times a month. Two times a month. Two to one times a month. If you're at three or four, you're like killing it. Now, I can sit up here and just rail against that and like make you feel guilty that you're such a bad sinner that you don't come to church often enough. Or I could just help you understand, listen, if you have a decreasing pattern of not attending church as often, then you're only shooting yourself in the foot because you're not renewing your mind. And especially if you're doing it because of your kids, how are you patterning them? Are you patterning? See, parenting is nothing more, nothing less than patterning. And my goal and Lindsay's goal is to pattern for our kids in such a way where they need less counseling in the future. They're going to need it. But what am I teaching my kids that we go to church if we got nothing better to do? You better look at the pattern. Going into small group, giving, serving. See, a lot of times you hear those things, you're like, man, you're just making me feel guilty. No, 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 no. I'm trying to inspire you to show you, man, there is power in those patterns. If, if you'll make a commitment to pattern your life, then your mind will be renewed and you won't be conformed to the worldly pattern. Because you need to know, friends, there is an enemy and he is trying to pattern your life in such a way that makes you live as though you're still a caterpillar. So if you're coming and you're not serving, you need to step up and serve. Why? Because when you start doing the pattern of serving, you start to understand, which ironically, we'll get into this next week in verse three, you'll stop thinking so highly of yourself. You know what he says in verse three? You better think about yourself in sober judgment. If you don't see yourself as a servant, say, I want to be a servant until we treat you like one. 
But if you'll pattern your life like that, then there's power there and God can use your life greatly. You know, we've got multiple locations now and, and there are people that weren't going to church in Pickens County and we started a church to help them understand that God wants to break the power of the patterns in their old life. But that doesn't happen if we don't have people who've adopted the world or have adopted the godly pattern of attending and serving and giving. You see what I'm saying here? But, but I understand that it's, it's uncomfortable to start a new pattern. And so there's still some of you, maybe you're in the Jasper location right now and you're not serving yet. We want you to adopt a new power because there's power there. And there's some of you here that live in Pickens County or in Jasper, you're still coming to the Canton location. I understand that because you got friends here, family here. I understand that. But if you live there, we want you to adopt the pattern of Jeremiah 29, 7, where you seek the welfare into which you were sent. You live there, so we want you to serve there. And so we want you to make a move. You're like, well, that's uncomfortable. I know. But when you came to church the first time, it was also uncomfortable. But look at where you are now. And so all of us have to objectively look at our life and be like, man, that's a bad pattern, man, that's a bad pattern, man, that's a bad pattern. And what is it conforming me into? But man, if I'm just willing to change the pattern, how could God transform me? I'm learning to live like the new creation that I am. And so I wanna encourage all of us, again, this is why I said, you're a hypocrite in some area. But man, if you'll bring your demonstrated values into what you declare, you'll be integrated and you'll be happier. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. God, thank you that because of your grace, we can admit that we're dead. We're sinful. And God, I pray if there's anybody here today who has never admitted that, it is so healthy. It's so emotionally healthy to be honest that we can't change ourselves. We are powerless because we're dead in our sins. But thank you, in Christ, you can make us alive. And so God, I pray right now for anybody listening or watching who has not trusted Christ, that you would open their eyes to see the truth about what you've done and how you've had mercy on them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never come to that point in time in your life where you have admitted and confessed and given him your dead life, then you can do that right now. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you so much for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I'm dead, but you make me alive by grace through faith in Christ. I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Now, again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that with me, we want to know and celebrate with you. So we just lift your hand up so we can see that. Thank you. Thank you. We have men and women are going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put your hand down. 
But then those of us who are believers, we've declared that we've trusted Christ. But if we were honest, there are some areas in our life we're not demonstrating it. We're not forgiving one another. We're not loving one another. Whatever it is, I don't know. And you've got some patterns, man, that you've just that are natural to you because of your family of origin, but are destructive to you and your relationships. The good news is God also wants to not just give you grace to save you, but give you grace to change you. If you'll just offer yourself as a living sacrifice, present your whole self. And that just starts by recognizing that you got a pattern problem. And then objectively saying, okay, what new patterns do I need to develop? Father, would you help us do this? It's hard work, but it's worth it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.